Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Last week we began the account of Moses in the burning bush and saw how that burning bush was a picture pointing us forward to Christ. This week we continue with the same account seeing how much more there is uh, again pointing us to Christ. Our reading then is from Exodus chapter 3 verses 6 to 14. Moreover, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Therefore I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. If you take a look at the front of your bulletins, you'll see what we might refer to as a picture of Jesus. It's actually an icon of Jesus. And there is a difference. An Eastern Orthodox icon is not simply a picture, but a symbol. And every part of the symbol is carefully crafted to teach the truth about who Jesus is. Just as when we teach God's word, we want to be careful that we represent God's word correctly, neither adding to nor subtracting from God's word, so the Eastern Church looks at icons as a way of teaching God's word. And they're very, very careful with them because they are so symbolic that every symbol is correct. Even the gesture of the hand and the placements of the hands is the correct way to teach the truth about who Jesus is. Our text this morning is a lot like this icon. It's a very real account. It's a very true account. But it's also there pointing us forward. It's like one of those automatic sidewalks at the airport, right? You get on it and it just keeps going forward, forward. Our text this morning as well keeps us going forward to Christ and to teach us about Christ. If you look again at the front of your bulletin, you'll notice that one of the important symbols there of Jesus is the halo around his head. The halo is used to remind us of holiness, of the glory of God, but especially when it's used of one of the persons of the Trinity, the halo always has three rays. 
to indicate the three persons of the Trinity. Three people, yet one God. And you'll notice that there are some letters there. They look like the letters O-W-H, which doesn't really mean much to us. There are actually Greek letters. Omicron, Omega, Nun. And in Greek, Ha-On, those three letters spell the one who is, the I am. The very name that we have in our text that God gave to Moses is right there above Jesus' head. In Greek, it's Ha-On, but in Hebrew, it's Yahweh, often pronounced Jehovah, the I am God, the name of God. It's right there above Jesus' head reminding us that Jesus is Jehovah. We heard about that last week. True God, begotten of the Father from eternity, but also true man as well. Jesus is Jehovah. He's not less than Jehovah by any means. And when he became man, he did not give up, lose part of God. We remember last week how the fullness of the deity dwells in him bodily. He is Jehovah, fully Jehovah, but he is also more, isn't he? Because he became man for us. Even the very name Jesus reminds us of this truth, that he is full, true God, the fullness of the Godhead, but more. The name Jesus comes from that very name we were just talking about, Yahweh, shortened to the first syllable, Yah, plus the Greek word, sozo, which means to save. Zeus, the I am God who comes to save us. So again, even the very name shows us that Jesus is Jehovah plus. Not less than Jehovah, but Jehovah and more. There are those who try to make Jesus less. They try, there are those who, uh, throughout history, there's always been those who claim that, well, Jehovah, he's up here, and Jesus is maybe a step or two less below that. The scripture is very clear that Jesus is true God, as we just confessed in our creed, begotten of the Father from eternity, the fullness of the deity, but also more become man to dwell among us. And our text this morning bears that out as well. It points us ahead to Jesus, but it also points out how we have received far more than what Moses and the Israelites have received. Greater blessings, greater promises. When we read those Old Testament, read, or those Old Testament accounts of how Jesus appeared in the burning bush, of the, ten, of the plagues, the ten plagues in Egypt, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, we might at first be jealous. Well, it would be kind of nice to see those miracles. But our, the scripture is clear that we have no reason to be jealous that what we have received is greater, more, not less. If you look in verse 6, for example, you read at the end of verse 6 that Moses was afraid to look on the face of God. This is quite a common theme, especially in the Old Testament, isn't it? That God's glory, God's face, causes fear in men. In fact, later on, when Moses was talking to God face to face, and then he would come down from the mountain 
that glory of God that Moses saw was reflected in Moses' own appearance. So that when he came down, the Israelites saw Moses' face glowing with a reflected glory of God. And even that reflected glory, as dim as it was compared to the glory of God, caused fear among the people. And on Wednesday night, we heard how the shepherds feared, trembled greatly at the glory of the Lord that surrounded the angels. Again, the glory of the Lord around the angels was a lesser glory than the fullness of the glory of the Lord, and yet even that caused fear. But the shepherds were not afraid when they went to see Jesus, were they? In him, Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Jesus is not lacking any of the glory or the power or the majesty of God the Father. And yet, it's hidden in the man, Jesus Christ, so that there is no longer fear in approaching God. Of course, some people, in our, we ourselves often in our sinfulness, try to take advantage of that. Sometimes we have the attitude that, well, because we don't need to be afraid of Jesus anymore, that we can sin all we want, and it doesn't really matter. We don't have to worry about sin. And in so doing, we also try to make Jesus less, don't we? As though because Jesus became man, we no longer have to care about the sins in our lives. Jesus is not less. The fullness of the deity dwells in him, the anger and wrath against God, against, of God against sin is there. Sin is still evil, but in the person of Jesus Christ, we no longer need to fear confessing that sin. And we heard that in our gospel reading as well. What did John encourage them? A baptism of repentance. Not a baptism that said, oh, sin doesn't matter anymore but a baptism that said, you do not need to be afraid to repent and confess your sins to God the Father. He will forgive and give you the strength to live in his love. In Jesus, we have that glory of God. In Jesus, we can see that face of God that Moses saw, but without fear. He, because he became man and lived among us. In verse 7, then, you'll notice how the Lord talks about, I have seen the sorrows of, of my people. But he goes on later in that verse to intensify it. Not only have I seen, but I have known, I have known their sorrows. That is an important phrase in Hebrew. It means a lot more than I just, oh, I know that they are suffering. When we say that, oh, okay, it refers to, okay, I know up in my head. But in Hebrew, it means that I have tasted it. I have experienced it. I have felt the sorrow of my people. That word to know in the Hebrew implies an experience, a connection, a very intimate connection, actually. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and remember how did Satan tempt Eve? Satan told Eve, on the day that you eat the fruit, you will know good and evil. He didn't mean that she would simply know what is good and what is evil, but he meant that you will have actually experienced it. You will know it in that way. And of course, in Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife Eve. 
And we know the, the intimacy that that implies there. So here as well, in Exodus chapter 3, God is not simply saying, I'm aware that my people are suffering, but more than that, I have felt their suffering. I know it myself. Again, Jesus is this same Jehovah who spoke to Moses. It is the pre-incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is speaking to Moses in the burning bush. He knew the suffering of his people then. He knows our suffering as well, even more so. Because he became man and suffered all that we suffer. Hebrews 4 reminds us, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with, with our weaknesses, but rather he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In our sinfulness, again, we have a tendency to make Jesus less when we think, well, he doesn't listen, he doesn't understand, oh, I'm suffering and I'm all alone, nobody understands me. No. Scripture tells us that our Savior knows our suffering. Whatever it is that we are experiencing, whatever it is we're having a hard time with, whatever it is we are suffering, Jesus himself experienced the same. We remember how he went 40 days without food and water, how he was tempted by Satan, how he suffered the lashes and the crown of thorns and even died on the cross. And yet having, having felt intimately, having known our suffering as one of us, Jesus does not turn to us and say, well, you know, I survived it, I managed it, you can too. That's not how Jesus treats us, is it? But instead, he says, I know you're suffering. I'm going to take your burden on me. I'm going to help you because I know it as well. Jesus is Jehovah plus. The same God who knew the sufferings of his people in Egypt and did what he could to deliver them from that suffering has known our sufferings as well and has come to deliver us as well. In verse 9, <coughs> Jehovah sends Moses to confront the enemy of his people, Pharaoh, and deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh. And of course, Jesus came to confront the greater enemy, not just to deliver us from a temporary earthly king, but to deliver us from sin, death, and the devil but to deliver us from the enemies that threaten our soul and our eternity. Matthew 1.21 reminds us, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And finally, we get to verse 13, where we hear that name of God that we saw written above Jesus in the icon. Moses comes to God and he says, The God of your father Abram, Isaac, and Jacob is not enough. That's what he's saying to God, isn't he? He's saying, that name isn't enough. I need a different name. I need something greater. And God agrees with Moses. God says, yes, simply knowing that I am the God of your fathers is not enough. You also need to know me. You also need to know my name. And so he reveals himself to Moses as the I am God. In the book of Revelation, of course, we are told that Jesus is the one who is, I'm sorry, who, who is, who was, and who is to come. That's the same reference to that same I am God, the God who 
does not change. And because he does not change, we can have confidence, we can have faith that what he's promised, he will do. That he will be with us, as he said. Even though he made that promise 2,000 years ago, lo, I am with you always, he does not change and is still with us even to this day. And yet this I am God, this Yahweh, this Jehovah, became man. That's kind of a brain teaser for you there, isn't it? How can a God who does not change become man? And yet both are true. He is the God who is and who does not change and who yet became one of us. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus told the Jews, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's referring to this very passage we're talking about and claiming that name of God, that unchanging name Jehovah, the one who keeps his promises for himself, and more, isn't he? Throughout the book of John, Jesus tells us, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And many other I am statements in the book of John. We could spend quite a bit of time going through those and talking about what wonderful things those names are and all the promises that God uh, gives us in those names. It's not enough for us that he is the God of our fathers, is it? It's not enough for us that Jesus is the God that our fathers worship. He needs to be our God as well. We need to know him. It's not enough that he is the God even of our childhood, that we went to Sunday school and we studied him in confirmation class. He needs to be the God whose name is with us now and who is continuing to reveal himself to us. And that's, of course, exactly what we have in the person of Jesus, the one who is with us. Not simply the one who was with us, but the one who is with us and continues to bless us in our lives and be with us and even to reveal himself more and more to us so that we might learn his name even more and the blessings that come with us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 24 reminds us, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. So our God is no longer just the God of our fathers. He is no longer just Jehovah, which is a great and mighty name in itself, but he is now Jesus. Jehovah who became man. Jehovah who saves us. Jehovah plus. Jesus is not just the God we learned about when we were children, but the God who is with us even to this day, who knows our sorrows and can help in every way, most importantly, who came to save us from sin, that we might live with him forever. Amen.